0: Scripture reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit.
1: Mark your calendars on uh, January 27th, January 27th and 28th. We're going to be hosting here at Katie a Living with Loss Workshop. You may be wondering, what's that all about? A Living with Loss Workshop. This is for... Those of us who have experienced a significant loss in our lives, what does the Bible have to say about those matters and how can we find comfort in those difficult times? But it's also for those of us who may not have experienced a significant loss, you and I can become better comforters of others. If we attend a workshop like this, if we hear what Brother Dean Miller is going to say about what it means to live with loss and to think about those things biblically. So just uh, three weeks from today, January 27th and 28th. It's Saturday morning from 9 to 1215. And then on Sunday, he's going to be speaking to a combined Bible class. And then he's going to be preaching Sunday morning and Sunday evening. Be looking forward to this. There are going to be some more, there's going to be some more information available in the, uh, in the coming days and weeks. But please keep this in mind and please be planning to attend this. It's for everyone. It's for all of us who want to know more about how can we have a heart of compassion in difficult times also Jordan has put some sign-up sheets in the foyer for our um, our outreach effort in February the community date night if you'd like to be involved in that effort I know he would appreciate if you'd look over the list and see what you uh, feel like you could do as part of that and so those sign-up sheets are out in the foyer as well please give some attention to that today as well This past week we began a project together as a congregation. We're reading the Bible together. We're reading the New Testament specifically together as a congregation this week. And we read Matthew chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to speak this morning about Matthew chapter 1. If you don't already have your Bible open there, please do so. Matthew 1 verses 18 through 25, the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus is only recorded in two of the gospel accounts. Matthew's account, of course, and then Luke's account in Luke chapters 1 and 2. But the birth of Jesus could not be more significant than it is. It is a miraculous birth. Before I go any further, I might mention that Jesus' birth is not the only miraculous birth that you read about in the Bible. It is isn't a class all by itself, but it's not the only miraculous birth. For example, Adam was formed, the very first man, out of the dust of the ground, wasn't he? In Genesis chapter two and verse seven, and Eve, had an interesting beginning as well. God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep and he took a rib out of Adam's side and formed woman out of the rib that he had taken from Adam in Genesis chapter 2 verses 21 and 22. Other miraculous births that you read about in scripture. Sarah, Abraham's wife was barren. She was past childbearing age. Her body was not physically able to produce children anymore. And yet Abraham and Sarah conceived a son and named him Isaac, the son of promise. You read about that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, among other places in scripture. Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, the parents of John the baptizer, much the same circumstances. Elizabeth, John the baptizer's mother, she was past childbearing age and yet they conceived and bore a son. Miraculous births. You also read about a number of women in scripture that may have been of childbearing age, but they themselves were barren, the scripture tells us. Women like Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, or Rachel, the wife of Jacob, or Hannah, as you read 1 Samuel chapters one and two. Mrs. Manoah, that's what I call her, Samson's mother. His father's name was Manoah, so his mother's name was Mrs. Manoah. And Samson's mother was barren, the scripture tells us in Judges chapter 13. But these women God blessed by giving them children, even though biologically something was not right. And so you've had these miraculous births in scripture. However, what happens with Jesus is in a class all by itself. Because if you're looking at your Bible in Matthew chapter one, beginning in verse 18, the scripture tells us that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is to say that God was directly involved in the process of the beginning of Jesus in his his mother's womb. Jesus has always existed. From eternity past, he is the word. He is God. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 teaches us. And yet the way Jesus was conceived in his mother's womb, it bears our scrutiny and our faith depends upon it. Let me tell you why our faith depends upon it. Because when you read the pages of Scripture, Jesus is someone who is to be the object of our worship. As a matter of fact, if you're looking at Matthew chapter one verse 23, notice, you shall call His name Emmanuel, which literally means "God with us." Who is this child? Who is this infant that's born in Bethlehem? He is God. In the song that we sing, in Christ alone, I love the line that talks about fullness of God in helpless babe. That's what Jesus was as an infant. He's one to be worshiped and Matthew wastes no time in bringing this to our attention. As you read through Matthew two through five this this week, you noticed maybe passages like Matthew two verse two, where is he who's born the King of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. And then in Matthew chapter 2 verse 11, when the wise men came to Bethlehem and they found the child and they found his parents, they brought him offerings of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They worshipped him, those wise men did. Even Herod the king said to the wise men, when you find Jesus, when you find the child, tell me where he is so that I too may come and worship him. Matthew chapter 2 verse 8. You notice other passages in the book of Matthew. The scripture says in Matthew 14, 33, when Jesus was walking on the water, later in his life, he got into the boat, the wind ceased, and the scripture says that the disciples worshiped him. He is one who can walk on the water. He is one who can still the storm and the waves. In Matthew 28, verse 9, Matthew 28, verse 17, after his resurrection, he came out of the tomb. The people that saw him were so overjoyed, they worshiped. And it also adds in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 17, that when the disciples saw him, they worshiped, but some still doubted. They still weren't sure that they were seeing the risen Lord Jesus. He is, however, the object of our worship. We sing praises to him all the time, do we not? When we observe the Lord's Supper, He is the Lord. He is the one who we're celebrating. He's the one who we're adoring. He's the one who is the object of our attention as we think about the sacrifice that He made for us at the cross and what that means for our lives and our community of believers as Christians. We give Him praise. We give Him thanks. We give Him worship. And it's right that we should do so. Colossians 2 verse 9 says about Jesus, In him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity, the whole fullness of the Godhead, maybe your translation says, dwells bodily. When we look at Jesus, this man, this person who came into the world by a miraculous birth, we are seeing not just a man, although he was fully man, but we are seeing someone who is also fully God. And we can sing, fairest Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature. O thou of God and man the Son, thee will I cherish, thee will I praise, those kinds of things. He's worthy of our worship. As you look at other passages, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, there are dozens of passages like this in your New Testament. The scripture talks about Jesus and it says, he is, Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. He is the exact imprint of God's nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is God. And the way he was born helps us to understand how that's true. The way he was born helps us to appreciate why that's true. He's not just a man, only a man. He's fully human. He's fully divine all at the same time. And you look at Matthew chapter one verses 18 through 25, you'll find that that is exactly what Matthew is telling us about our savior. That's also what Luke tells us about our savior and all the passages of the new Testament confirm these truths as well. Let's explore this a little bit of detail this morning. As you look at Matthew chapter one verses 18 through 25, we're gonna talk about the account itself in just a moment under our second point. But in the first place, I want us just to notice some prophecies. The Old Testament had for centuries been telling people that there was a child coming, that there was somebody who was going to be born and he was going to be different from everybody else. As early as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God talked to Eve and talked to the uh, the serpent and he said, the offspring of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. In other words, somehow in this woman's heritage, somebody who will look back to Eve as An ancestor is going to be the one to destroy the serpent and his power uh, once and for all, the offspring of the woman. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 18, God says to Abraham and then to his descendants, in your offspring, in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So God started very early in history talking about a child who is going to come, someone who is going to be born. And he talks about this all through the Old Testament. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, which gets quoted, by the way, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, the prophet said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There is a prophecy This is going to happen. A child is coming. Isaiah didn't stop there. In Isaiah nine verses six and seven, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government of God, the kingdom of God will be upon his shoulders. He's going to rule with peace. He's going to bring restoration and law to the people. This child is going to be special. And the Israelites read those prophecies for centuries and they wondered, Who is the offspring of woman, Genesis 3.15? Who is the one who's going to be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7 verse 14? Who is the one who is going to have a government upon his shoulders and be a king? Who will that child be? And not only did God talk about the child that was going to be born, he even talked about where he was going to be born. If you read Matthew 2 this week, you'll remember that Herod didn't know. Herod didn't know his Bible very well, apparently. He had to have his scholars and his scribes. Where is the king of the Jews gonna be born? And they went back to their Bibles and they read and they found in the book of Micah, chapter five, verse two, that the scripture says, from Bethlehem, this little out of the way forgotten village, from Bethlehem shall come forth one who is to be a ruler in Israel. The point is, God knew what was going to happen. He knew how Jesus was going to come to this world and God for centuries had talked to the world, had talked to his people about this child who was going to be born and he prophesied about this. And so when Jesus did come into the world, the wise men, interestingly, who are not Jewish as far as we know, come from the east They come from a foreign country because even they had heard about these prophecies. They had heard about this child that was going to be born, king of the Jews, and they wanted to come worship him. They wanted to see this child who is going to save people from their sins with their own eyes. They wanted to bring silver and uh, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They wanted to bring gifts and offerings to him. Prophecies. Now look in your Bibles, if you would, at Matthew chapter 1. I just wanna talk about some facts relating to the birth of Jesus. Some things that the scripture tells us about what happened when he was born. If you're reading Matthew one, you might've noticed that the new Testament begins with genealogies. It begins with so-and-so begat so-and-so and and talks about fathers and sons and sometimes mothers in the family tree of Jesus. And what you're looking at in Matthew one, verses one through 17 is the human heritage of Jesus. How Jesus is related to Abraham and Jesus is related to David and Jesus is related to all those other people in the bloodline. Jesus could trace his heritage back generation after generation after generation all the way to Abraham himself. Matthew's trying to tell us, this is the one that God promised to Abraham. This is the one in Genesis 22 verse 18, through whom all nations are going to be blessed. He is the seed of Abraham. And so his human heritage is brought forth in Matthew 1 verses 1 through 17. But then his divine heritage is emphasized in chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. Yes, he's fully man everything that makes you human Jesus possesses he knows what it's like to get tired he knows what it's like to get to to get uh, sleepy he knows what it's like to, uh, to to become thirsty he knows what it's like to experience heat and cold and the elements and things like that he knows all those things he even knows what it's like to die but he's also God at the same time he is the fullness of God bodily Colossians 2 verse 9 Read with me for just a moment, if you would. This is the passage that Kent read for us a moment ago. Matthew 1, beginning in verse 18. I want you to notice in the first place what the scripture says about his conception. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Luke emphasizes this as well. That which is in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit. How did Mary become to be with child? the Holy Spirit was involved in this process. And the scripture makes no bones about it. It tells us that this became a problem for Joseph. In the first century, The evidence seems to point to the fact that a couple, a young Jewish couple like Joseph and Mary, they became betrothed and then they got officially married, if you will. But in order to get out of a betrothal, that is you've made a promise, you've made a covenant, you've made a commitment, I'm going to marry you one day. There's a time, a waiting period before the actual marriage was consummated. And that's the time in which Mary was found to be with child. And this became a problem. And Joseph found out about this. In verse 19 it says her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. I've always been impressed with the character of Joseph. What little we know about him. He was a good man. And even if something terrible had gone on in his relationship with in Mary's relationship with someone else, even if that was the case, he had been betrayed by her. He wasn't going to make a spectacle of her. He wasn't going to humiliate her. He wasn't going to drag her name through the mud. He was just going to very quietly, as discreetly as he could, end this relationship because he felt like she's with child. She's obviously not been with me, and therefore, I'm going to put her away quietly. You have to appreciate something about his character just in what, the little, what little the Bible says about him. The scripture goes on and says in verse 20, though, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So, in my mind's eye, I don't think all of this happened in rapid succession, one thing after the other, after the other, after the other. Mary's found to be with child. She doesn't know how it happened until the angel Gabriel speaks to her in Luke chapter 2. But she goes and tells Joseph what's happened, and Joseph doesn't know how this happened either. And so, there's some time that goes by and there's some confusion that takes place until one night Joseph goes to sleep and in his sleep, he has a dream. And it's not just any dream. Sometimes I have vivid dreams, other nights I don't know that I dream at all. I don't remember if I do, but this dream was a supernatural dream. It's not the only one Joseph's gonna have. But in this supernatural dream, God uses an angel to speak to Joseph. And the angel appears to him, and he makes an impression on Joseph. And here's what he says in, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." There's confusion that takes place, and yet Joseph receives revelation from God. And Joseph has a choice at this point. Joseph can wake up, and he doesn't have to obey the dream. He doesn't have to listen to what God tells him to do. He can continue with his plan to divorce Mary quietly. But Joseph chooses, by faith, to believe that what God is telling him is the truth. He has no other evidence than the fact that God appears to him in a dream and tells him this is why this is happening with Mary. And based on that evidence, based on that testimony that he receives in that dream, Joseph wakes up and he goes ahead and takes Mary into his home. What a good man. Wouldn't it be wonderful if every time we were confronted with a message from God? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had hearts that just responded and said, I don't understand all this. But God, I'm going to do what you say. I don't know all that this this entails, but I'm going to do what God tells me to do. That's what Joseph did. Joseph chose to believe God. Matthew tells us, behold, the virgin, this was uh, to fulfill what God had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then in verse 20, uh, excuse me, 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son and they called his name Jesus. Matthew adds some detail there to help us to understand that there is no way, there is no way that this birth was not miraculous. There's no other way to explain it. The child was conceived in Mary's womb and she remained a virgin until she gave birth. His birth is unlike any other in all of human history. It is unique. As you consider the facts, did you notice this as you read this week? Did you notice the way Jesus is described in these verses? It begins with Jesus Christ. That word Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. It's a title. And it means the anointed one, the king, the one that God has promised for centuries would come, the Messiah, the one, the chosen one. That's what Christ means. And he is called right off the bat by Matthew, Jesus Christ. But notice also the scripture calls him Jesus. That was what they were told to name him. And the word Jesus literally means God saves. He who saves And the reason why you're supposed to name him Jesus, the angel says, is because he will save people from their sins. This child has a special mission. This child is going to do things that nobody else could ever do. There is nobody else, friends, who can save you from your sins. Only Jesus can do that. That's why he was given that name in the first place. And then the prophet had spoken about how he was going to be called Emmanuel. This is a prophetic statement, it's not literal. Nobody went around calling Jesus Emmanuel during his life, so far as we know. But the name Emmanuel means God is with us. You know what the good news of the gospel begins with? The good news of the gospel begins with the fact that God came down to man that God moved into our neighborhood, that God came to be with us. And when Jesus is born, you shall call his name Emmanuel because God is with us. What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful hope. What a wonderful name our savior is given. Christ Jesus, God with us, the one who can save us from our sins having looked at the facts and looked at the prophecies, maybe you're wondering, you know, it's, it's fascinating that this is how Jesus came into the world and it's fascinating that this is what God did and this miraculous birth is very unique, I'll admit that, but what does it mean? Why is this significant to you and to me and to everyone? Let me share with you some reasons, the necessity of Christ's birth being miraculous like this. In the first place, This was necessary because prophecies needed to be fulfilled. God had made promises and God does not lie. Titus chapter one, verse two. God does not forget what he promised. If you're a parent, have you ever made a promise to your child and then you forget, like completely slips your mind? I told you we would do this. And then the child remembers, but you don't. God's not like that. And God makes promises and centuries go by and he still hasn't forgotten his promises. God fulfills his word. And the fact that Jesus was born proves once again that that's true. But not only that, the way Jesus was born shows us what God is like. In John chapter one, verse 14 through 18, the scripture talks about how the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And the scripture says that no one has seen God at any time, John 1, 18, but Jesus, the begotten son, he has revealed him. He has shown him to us. And in John 14, verses eight and nine, when Jesus was talking about, I and my father are one. And Philip says, show us the father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? He who has seen me has seen my father. Here's the thing, I love YouTube because I don't have to read a bunch of dry directions on whatever I'm trying to put together Because all I have to do is whatever product I'm putting together, I can put it into YouTube, and there is somebody who's made a video about how to put this product together. I love for somebody to show me. I don't need to read the directions, just show me one step at a time what to do. Jesus is that for us. What is God like? Who is He like? What would He do if He were human? Jesus is the answer. It's like watching the most helpful YouTube video ever to look at Jesus and to ask, what is the God that I serve like? He is compassionate, he is forgiving, he is understanding, he is patient, he goes where people need him, those kinds of things. But he also, he's serious about the word and he's serious about truth and he's serious about judgment and he's serious about God's wrath and the need to be saved from that wrath on the last day. He's that kind of person. He came to reveal God to us. And when we look at Jesus, we see a picture, the express image of God, Hebrews 1, verse 3. Why is it significant that Jesus was born in this way? God can't die. God is spirit, John four twenty four. Those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth, the scripture says. God, in his essence, in his being, can't die. However, when God is clothed in flesh... As Jesus became, when God is born into this world as a little baby and then grows up, Jesus could die. Separation of body and spirit, James 2.26. Hebrews 2.16 and 17 tells us this, Jesus does not give aid to angels, but rather to Abraham's descendants, Abraham's seed. Jesus became like his brethren in all things that he might taste death for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. And he's able to sympathize and understand and know what we're going through as well when we die he was born so that he could be a sacrifice for us why is it so important that jesus was born in this way because he is fully god and he is fully man he is our mediator a mediator is somebody who is equally related to both parties in a dispute and he's able to bridge the gap between the two parties. We're not getting along, there's hostility, there's enmity between me and someone else. A mediator is a third party who's equally related. If I'm in a dispute or a lawsuit with somebody, I don't want that person to bring their brother to be the mediator because I'm immediately gonna say, well, but your brother, he's gonna act in your interest and not mine. But if you bring in an objective third party Oh, he's equally related to both of us. He's going to be objective. At least I can trust that. The fact that Jesus is a mediator, he is fully man, so he understands us. He is fully God, so he understands God. And he is able to bridge the gap between God and man. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. And you know why it says that in 1 Timothy 2? It says that in the context of world evangelism. There is no other way to God but through Jesus. You cannot find God in world religions like Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. You cannot find God in those approaches to life. Why not? Because those approaches lack the mediator who is equally related to both God and man. You cannot find God in any other way but coming through the mediator, Jesus Christ. He's the only way, the way, the truth, the life. First John, excuse me, John chapter 14, verse six. Jesus is our mediator. He came to be equally related to us and equally related to God. What does it mean that Jesus was born this way? The fact that Jesus came to this world means that he could experience temptation and that's mind blowing all on its own. The idea that the very son of God could experience a temptation, a test and and wonder what it would be like to sin and yet not do it. He experienced temptation and He is able in that way to sympathize with our weaknesses, Hebrews, right? The Hebrews writer says, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, He, Jesus, was tempted in all points like we are, yet He was without sin. And because He was without sin, He is now qualified to be our high priest and we can approach the throne of God to find grace and mercy to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, verse 16 Jesus came so that he could understand us, so that he could save us, so that he could die for us, so that he could ransom us from our sins, and so that he could be the one that we praise and worship and adore for all eternity. There's a lot packed in to those little nuggets of information there in Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. The fact that Jesus was born is the most momentous thing that had happened in the world up until that time. And the only thing that supersedes it is the fact that Jesus died and was buried and was raised for you on the third day. Thank God for the savior that he sent and thank God for the way that God has made for us to be right with him. And maybe you're not a Christian this morning and maybe you haven't come to Jesus. There is no other way to God but through Him. Believe on Him, confess His name, He is God's Son, repent of your sin, be baptized in water for the remission of your sin. That's how someone outside of Christ comes into a relationship, a saving relationship with Jesus. If you're ready to make that commitment this morning, we'd love to help you. Won't you respond to Heaven's invitation while together we stand and while we sing?